Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. It's Thursday, September 1st. I'm Jonathan Last, sitting in for Charlie Sykes. He'll be back next week. I'm joined today by James Carville. You know who he is. He's the guy who saved the Democratic Party in the early 1990s. He loves watches, LSU football, and he co-hosts the politics podcast War Room with Al Hunt. Uh, we're going to talk about the watch stuff later. James, welcome back to the show. How are you, buddy? Well, I'm good. I'm good. Every time I read something uh, you write, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful you're no longer on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind of yeah, you. No, it's, it, it's amazing the, the sort of different culture that the, the bulwark types bought in they look at what I've been dealing with my whole professional life, and they go, "Wow, that's some people up here." <laughs> it's a it's a really constipated political party, but it's better to be constipated than to be evil. So, given the choice, I'll take that's, that. You know, that'll be the tagline for the Democrats: yeah. better constipated than evil. Right. Uh, let's start today out in the wilds of Alaska, where Sarah Palin has lost her special election. Uh, she was in a bid to fill the remainder of the late Congressman Don Young's term. Uh, she was in a three-way runoff with the Democrat Mary Peltola, who's an indigenous Alaskan and a Republican Ms. Desmond named Nick Begich. Uh, we have a rematch of this coming in November, just like 10 weeks away. Uh, but what was interesting in this is, A, Alaska now has a Democratic congresswoman, and B, we just road-tested the new ranked-choice system. Uh, I just want to set the table for people so they understand how this worked. Because uh, it's a little bit crazy. Um, what we had was we had in the first round, the Democrat Peltola finished with 40% of the vote. She was uh, about 16,000 votes ahead of Palin, who was in second. As they went to the subsequent rounds of the ranked choice voting, uh, Begich was eliminated because he was in third. Uh, half of his voters had Palin as their number two choice, 21% didn't list a second choice. And 29% ranked Peltola over Palin. And that's that's why uh, she is now the Democratic congressman. Uh, so, James, let's start at the macro and zoom in. Uh, okay. I would argue that unlike some of these other special elections we've seen in the last few weeks, we shouldn't put too much stock on this result. Because Alaska is a weird state, ranked choice is a weird system, and Palin is a weird candidate. Right. Am I wrong? Is this, is this actually part of the, the broader narrative in special elections we've been seeing, or is this just an outlier? I, I think, you know, it's one of these it's typical cop-out answer, but it have, I think it's the correct answer. It's some of both, all right? And it and what happened, and I, I'll be a little bit bragging on myself here. I kept screaming that Kansas was the big opportunity, and just actually went out there before the vote. And I I do think that the Kansas ballot initiative gave Democrats excited them, gave them hope, and I think it was demoralizing to some Republicans. Now, how much of that? would have happened in Alaska, I don't know, because as you point out, it's, it's a unique set of circumstances. But it, Al Gross, who's a friend of mine, who I tried to help in the Senate race that he lost, he dropped out because he knew he was going to siphon votes off. And that, that's the kind of sacrifice and pragmatism that we have to have all across the party if we're going to save democracy as we know it. We need that kind of stuff. And she was a unique because she was so polarized, and she got 29% of the second choice of Vegas's Republican voters, which is you're not going to replicate that against an ordinary Republican. But the other side of the coin is there are not a lot of ordinary Republicans running in this cycle. 
Yeah. Sarah Longwell, my colleague, has a her focus group podcast. She she did a whole huge focus group up in Alaska. And what you heard Republican voters saying over and over again was they they really didn't like Palin. Even the ones who said they were going to vote for her, they said they didn't like her because she was a quitter. And again, it's just she's a unique unique person. But the bigger question is here, I mean, what good is it to have this seat for 10 weeks? We, you know, uh, can Potola hold on in November? I don't even understand how this campaign works if you're her. She's got to show up in D.C., staff an office, do work as a legislator, and also run a campaign 5,000 miles away? Yeah, it's it's difficult. And, you know, it's difficult to hold a seat. But, you know, you take what you can get for, for 10 weeks and who knows? Uh, you know, we'll talk about it later, I'm sure. But but this election is starting to form. Now, whether it continues or not, I don't know. Uh, neither does anyone else. But trust me, the, the Democrats it excited them. The other thing that Palin has a problem, and you live in a place like Louisiana, Alaska, you particularly understand that we're very sensitive about our politicians embarrassing us. And I think a lot of people in Alaska, a lot of Republicans in Alaska, just didn't like the idea that she had become a laughingstock. Because the attitude that most people in Alaska have is do most people, well, I guess it's on the coast, but not, not a, what we think of as a coastal state, is that we're kind of looked down upon. And that's a, that's a real feeling. It, it, it's not just made up. And I think that probably hurt as much as anything. This is a funny thing, and it shows the difference between ordinary political support and a cult of personality. Uh, Palin's voters got embarrassed by her, and you didn't hear anybody anywhere, so far as I can tell, defending her decision to to resign her seat. Right? Nobody nobody came out and said, "Actually, this is brilliant," and you know, was I'm glad yeah. she did it. But whereas if we had been talking about Donald Trump, you would have absolutely had that. Right. You know, people just want to rally around no matter what he does. People rally around him and say that, you know, of course, he he took those documents. That's that's what a guy want a president who takes classified documents, you know, and uh, and she does not have that that cult of personality. And it is a that is a difference in kind, not not just like a difference in magnitude. Well, then that speech in Minneapolis was per high watermark by far. And yeah. then and after that, it just went down and descended. The, the Bill Moore piece on Sarah Palin has got to be one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life, you know? Yeah. Right. So do you think, I, I mean, I, in a weird way, uh, on the one hand, there is a, yeah, the Wicked Witch is dead kind of vibe to this. But on the other, again, this is a very, very narrow victory. And we've got to replicate it again in November. And it seems to me that she might still be minimally viable. No? Yeah. I mean, it, it, with the, the way the system is, and you did a good job of explaining it, I, I now understand it somewhat better than I did before. Anything can happen, you know? It, look, what you got to think of, suppose Republicans have a three-vote House majority, all right? Extrapolate the Speaker's race at that point. Think yeah. about that. All right. yeah. That's, that, that's right. a really in the realm of possibility. I, I, I right now, someone asked me, it could be, you know, plus ten Democratic to plus twenty Republican. But but three is that that's a, a reasonable assumption. So and remember, the Democrats vote on Speaker of the House. Right. So if you got four Republicans that don't like Kevin McCarthy, which is highly likely, then you you might it, it, you know people always fantasize about this. And it's okay, but you might have a, a non-House member as speaker. 
Donald Trump, right? This is, this is, no, I'll get out. No, I know. I know. I, what about this? Liz Cheney. Oh, boy. Right? That wouldn't Every that be Democrat wonderful. says, you know, that's the best we can do. We got a three, you know, we, we down three and you got four or five Republicans that said, you know, I, I can't go along with the re- direction this is. I, that I is some West Wing level fantasy politics. Well, I love I, it. That, but that's what yeah. we do. I, I, yeah. You know, I mean, my other grand prediction, by the way, and I'll give it to you. You can play it at my funeral that I think within the next year that Biden will pardon Trump. And I think what, what the conditions of pardon is Trump has to ask him for it. And he has to admit guilt. And he's got to ask Biden to ask the Fulton County DA to suspend. And I think if he did that, I, I think it would be, uh, there'd be some wisdom in Biden pardoning him. That, I'm just you know, we're going to talk about that I'm later. speculating wildly here. Because you and I are in the same place on this. Uh, and I get killed for it by our readers all the time. And and frankly, by the by my bulwark colleagues. So we'll get to that. Okay. Do you have before we leave Alaska, do you have any deep thoughts about ranked choice voting? Ranked choice voting is one of those things that the people who are into it are really into it. They will right. talk your ear off for hours about how this will save America. Uh do you have thoughts either way? I'm very I, meh on it. Like it seems confusing, and I'm open to trying it and having some experiments. But my default position is: what the fuck is wrong with the person with the most votes winning? All right, that's just the way it's always <laughs> been. You know, if you score the most runs, you win the game. All right, right. But what you saw in Alaska was an interesting thing. It hurts more extreme candidates. At least it did in this instance. All right. Yes. So I, I can't say that I like it because they, they mock that, which they don't understand. But the, the result in Alaska kind of showed what I think it, its originators kind of had in mind, that you, you weren't going to get stuck with an extremist where you, in high person takes it all. You got a five-person field and somebody has a rock-solid 32%, they win. Right. So it, it's like everything else in life, uh, Jonathan, it, it Nothing is all good, all bad. I, I still think it's more bad than good, but I'm open to, to shifting. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, all right, moving on. We have the, the Department of Justice versus Donald Trump. Lots of movement yesterday. We had the former president going on another giant truth storm. You said in one of your recent episodes that his legal team is not just bad but awful. <laughs> and it does... I don't know. I mean, I am not a lawyer. You you went to law school. You That's you are a lawyer. Idea. People yeah. don't remember that about you. Right. What is happening here? Because it sure looks like we're moving towards an indictment. So he's hired the former Florida Solicitor General, who I looked up and looks like he he's competent. All right. Okay. The, the previous lawyers they would file a motion, and they wouldn't have a prayer, and the, but you know, prayer is just legalese for what you ask for. You know, right. Jonathan punched me in the I, you know, I asked for $10,000 for this intentional tort or whatever. It can be the most rudimentary thing in the world. But they didn't even include a prayer. And the judge who was appointed by Trump had referred him to the manual for the Southern <laughs> District of Florida. I, I mean, when I was a lawyer, we had Judge Rubin, who was like this genius, and he had forms for everything. So you, you could just look up Judge Rubin's forms and you, you, you you, you, all you had to do is get your secretary to retype the form and put the other name in. That's not that's not complicated lawyer. They couldn't even do that. I'm, I'm, uh, as, I, as I said on my show, the one thing 
I can recognize a bad lawyer. These are not bad lawyers. These are god-awful lawyers. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) So where where are we heading here with this? I mean, it sure looks like he was in possession of a bunch of classified documents. His position seems to be that... uh, they those records belong to him, but the law of this also seems pretty clear that uh, that's not the case. When you're president, the records you create belong to the government, not to to you personally. Are, are we going to get an actual indictment? Do you think? So, all right, let's think about it. I, the, the consensus on who Merrick Garland is is, is almost unanimous. He's a very straight laced, probity, deliberate. Uh, judicious, even you name it, it's all the same thing, all right? And he didn't want to do this, obviously. He sat on the application for a week. But he knows that once he signed that, he's committed to battle. That they just, Sky knows that. All right. And then when they filed the motion with the photo, this is going to trial. Yeah. I think he knows where it's going. I'm not sure it can even be stopped now. And the other thing is, is the papers clearly don't belong to him. He clearly stole them. I, I don't know if there's a federal theft statute, but there must be stealing government property. But clearly what he did. Carl Rove was on Fox and he had to tell people, he doesn't own, it is not his papers. And he referred out 1978. Presidential Documents Act. He can't. You can't claim ownership. If, some, if I want you to watch, I just can't. Well, I can claim ownership, but I, if I, I take it, it's stealing. It's that simple. Yeah, when you've lost so, Carl Rove, you know you're in trouble. Right. I mean, but you know, sure he knows that he was part of an administration. It's not yours. It's not yours. It belongs to the government. It, it, it's pretty simple. So. What does the timing look like on this? I mean, I, I I am basically of the opinion that Trump is unconvictable because you can't assemble 12 people, that uh, any group of 12 people anywhere in America without getting one red hat in it, Yeah, no matter what you do in terms of jury selection. I don't, I don't no, you don't think so? You'd be surprised. If somebody is on a jury, all right, and that judge says, this is what you're going to decide on. At each and every point, these are the elements of theft. Right, and and the state can show he had them. He knew they was. We tried to get them back. They filed false documents claiming that they turned them all back. That the archives went there and, and did it. He had complete knowledge, and he just kept keeping it. If, and if, you, if that's you can show intent, you can show knowledge, you can show everything. And you tell a juror that. I mean, you could you'd have to have an awfully red hat. And you would have to stand up to a lot of internal pressure to other jurors. I'm, I'm, I have a little more faith in the jury system than. than yeah, I, well, it's people. not the jury system. I don't have faith in it's people. I, I don't. Well, I don't like that people. That's the jury system. <laughs> <laughs> what about people? You don't have one. <laughs> but I'm just saying, people. When people are there, and you sit in the trial, and everybody's watching you, and that judge in that robe sitting up above you, all right, and he's the guy that lets you. Tells you when you can eat lunch and tells you when you can leave. He tells you when you can pee. He tells you what you can listen to. You know, he's generally a she. I shouldn't say, I apologize. So 
you'd have to be a pretty hardwired person to stand up to 11 other people and say, look, Jonathan, this is what the judge said we had to decide it out, all right? Count number one, elements of proof, boom, boom, boom. I got more faith than you. So what does the timeline look on this? Does this all start happening before he declares? Do you think he's running, by the way? Because that's been my, yeah. I mean, my assumption has been that he's running the whole the whole time. I, th- I thought this from October of 2020, um, that he was going to run again. Where are you on this? Well, first of all, they're not going to do anything till after the election. That's pretty right. clear in terms of charging anybody. Sure. They, they could re- release in documents and Trump lawyers weighed in again and lead with their chin, they'll, they'll pop them pretty hard. I don't know. Well, yes, they're going to indict him. There's no other way. You, you touch a king, you kill a king. And does he run or not? It, it's where he thinks he can, he can grift the most money by being a candidate or, or not. Everything that he decides is how, how big of a grift it can be. I think if he runs, I don't think he'll win the nomination. Really? I really don't. It, because it, Tell me it, more. It, all right, I'll tell you why. Now, yeah, look, be careful what you wish for, all right? But the, because the, the best thing ever written on Trumpism was by the Trumpist candidate for the Pennsylvania Senate. Actually, she was a black woman. I can't recall her name. But she said that MAGA existed before Trump. We were just waiting for somebody to come along, and MAGA will exist after Trump. And Trump doesn't, he, he, he can't control us. And the evidence was pretty persuasive. When he told the people in North Alabama that they should get vaccinated, they booed him off the stage. Never said it again. Right. So if you, if you don't follow, we think that Trump created MAGA. I think this woman is right. I think MAGA was always out there, always out there, and it's going to stay out there. So and if MAGA decides that Trump is not the best vehicle to carry their whatever, I guess, philosophy, if it'd be generous and call it that, I, I, I think they'll turn on him. And, if, and, you know, you start to hear a lot of, well, I like everything he's done. You know, the government's just not going to let him alone. And so what we got to do is put another a, a new guy in there that'll have more energy that will be fighting the deep state and can eradicate the deep state. I don't know if that logic will, will start to come in. You know, he got, uh, you know, the desire to win kicks in to anybody. And if the constant barrage of polls showing him losing, that that that's going to hurt him in a way. They, MAGA wants, is going to want to win, and if they decide that Trump is not the best vehicle, they'll get, they'll take another one. But but he is not MAGA. He, they allow him to exist as long as he hews their party line. That's interesting. That's very interesting. I you know you mentioned about how he's he's constantly grifting and looking to, to make more money. The other thing he's always looking for is leverage, and I think being a declared candidate gives him more leverage. Uh, just over the justice system, right? In terms of looking to make deals or, you know, or try to wriggle out of right. something. If he's a declared candidate, he just has more leverage over that because that makes their prosecution more more tenuous. And so I, I, I just, I think he, he has to declare one way or another just from his own lights on this. Yeah. I, I <sighs> mean, it, it, it may, look, he's going to do what he thinks is best for him. He don't give a shit about right. the Republican Party and a bag of movement or anything else. Absolutely. Right. 
But I don't, I'm not saying he's not going to run. I, said, I think there's a substantial chance that another Republican beats him. If he's prosecuted, because this is the weird thing, right? Uh, the, all the, basically, with the exception of the Doug Mastrianos and the Carrie Lakes of the world, everybody from Ron DeSantis on down is desperate for Trump to be sent to jail. <laughs> but at the same time, they are going to not only not help the effort to send Trump to jail, they're going to attack it and defend him from it every step of the way. And so how does, what do the politics of this wind up being? Because I, I just don't think you're going to get a clear, clear sense of public opinion because you're going to have the entire Republican Party defending Trump and claiming it's a witch hunt the whole way. Not because they believe it, not because they want Trump to still be the leader of the party, but because they feel like they have to do that to maintain their place within MAGA. Correct. And the one thing everybody did focus group Trump's presidency after his presidency, and if you have a focus group of Republicans, you ask, what do you want out of your congressional candidates? The number one answer by far, bar none, is defend Trump. And by the way, Republicans that have failed to defend Trump or attack Trump are not doing very well. Yeah. Again, MAGA is in control. They control it. They control the, 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 the people in the Congress. Like, I mean, look at after January 6th and you had, you know, McCarthy and Mitch McConnell and everything. You know what they did? They stood down and stood down quickly because they got the message, that's not what we want. And when you understand that MAGA runs the show way more than Trump does. Absolutely. So this, you said this on one of your shows. I, I forget whether it was last week or three weeks ago or whatever. You said, uh, look, it's these effing people. Right. It's the voters who are the ones who demand yeah. this stuff. It's not it's not the Kevin McCarthy's of the world. It's not the Jim Jordans that we have this stuff because it's democracy in action. This is what Republican voters want. And uh, that's the truest thing ever. And uh, something I get into fights with with, you know, Tim Miller about all the time and, and Sarah Longwell, my buddies. Right. Uh, because they think, well, it's a leadership problem. I said, no, no, this is this is popular power. This is literally what populism is. Right. So Al Hunt and I, and he, you know, his dad was a Republican pediatrician on the main line, right? And, you know, he's always in the hunt for, like, the good Republican. <laughs> I tease him about it. And he said if McConnell would exercise his leadership on the second impeachment, he could have gotten... 12 Republican votes. And I said, he couldn't do that, Al, because if he would have, he would not be the leader anymore. They'd have voted his ass out. He was doing the bidding of his caucus. And his caucus knew that if, if any of them turned on him, they were done. They were done. They were going to get primary and they were going to lose. And again, MAGA runs the show here. Trump doesn't run it. McConnell doesn't run it. McCarthy, none of them. So, I mean, let, let's let's walk this down the road a little bit. Let's say that it's late November, early December, and we get an indictment. What does that look like politically? I mean, as it is right now, the polling I've seen on this suggests that people do think it's really bad to steal documents. Um, <laughs> but they haven't been saturated yet. They haven't had the entire Republican Party screaming that it's a witch hunt. People thought it was bad. The, the people thought the Ukraine stuff was bad. I don't know if you remember this, but, awful. you know, the early it days. Of, it was awful. I, I, I don't know. It was 60-40, right? It was the polling on Ukraine and the blackmailing of Zelensky was 60-40 against Trump in the early yeah. weeks. And uh, and then all the Republicans got back on side. 
and we wound up with like a 52-48. Because 40% of the country is 70% of the Republican Party, right? Right. It, 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 they, they, can't, they can't go against their own party. I mean, they can, but see Liz Cheney. You know, Kenton could, couldn't even run. I, I mean, they, they just you can't cling to what you remember the Republican Party was in 2012. That no longer exists. It's not there. It's, it's a fantasy. It's a story, all right? It's Jack and the Beanstalk. And, and it, it's so hard for people to come to grips. And this is where it is, but this, this is where it is. And the point I was making is when you have really stupid people that vote in your primaries, really stupid voters produce really stupid candidates, all right? See Pennsylvania, Arizona, Illinois, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And until the actuarial tables kick in, they're going to keep nominating people like this. And it's, 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 it's a shame, but it's, it's really true. And, and everybody wants to have the great person theory of history, and everybody wants to blame McConnell or Trump or whatever. You, you, you got to blame the voters. That's where the blame lies. So does a prosecution of Trump hurt Biden and Democrats? So or not, you say, no, no it effect. It, it, you say it's a prosecution. All right. Well, first of all, in order to have a prosecution, you got all kind of lead up. Then you actually got an indictment. And then people right. actually see, and, and of course, you're going to have prosecutors that are going to have charts. All right. You say, well, well some, people going to resist anything to a point. But at a point when the actual event happens, it shakes up public opinion. Let, let's talk about the Dobbs case. When it had the leaked draft opinion, yeah, some people were who are, and this is terrible, blah, 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 but it, it didn't shake. Once the actual opinion hit, it literally changed the political terrain in the United States. And so it it, it depends. If, if it's an a, a, a indictment that tantamount to a librarian's dispute, well, that's going to be really bad. But what, that didn't look like a librarian's dispute in that photograph. <laughs> it seems to yeah. be something quite... And if that little piece of evidence was so impressive, they got a hundred things just like that. Yeah, literally a uh, hundred of them. Yeah. Literally a hundred of them. So it, 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 the indictment is just not going to happen in a vacuum. There's going to be a lead up to it. They, and, you know, there's going to be leaks and, and there's going to be this. And then you're going to have the actual indictment. And they're going to have a chart. And they're going to stand in front of the chart and said theft, elements. Espionage Act, elements, Presidential Records Act, elements, and they're going to have evidence that they're going to show. And it, look, will 30% of the public get mad and everything? But it, it's going to shake people, I promise you. You know, God bless him. Joe Biden has not said word one about any of this. And how to me, it was just, it's been so refreshing to have a president where. Uh, he's not out there tweeting about every damn thing that happens, you know, in the news. Right. Uh, and you, we will have a, a weird thing here where you'll have Democrats basically not talking about it because it's it's an ongoing criminal matter. And uh, you'll have Republicans who want to campaign on this. All right. I want to talk a little bit about Peter Thiel. He's in a little bit of a tiff with Mitch McConnell over uh, for Blake Masters. 
uh, Teal spent the money to put Blake Masters and J.D. Vance over in uh, Arizona and Ohio uh, and then said, basically, I'm not I'm done spending money. And McConnell last Friday, uh, his super PAC pulled eight million dollars worth of ads from Masters, who is in a little bit of trouble right now. Uh, and supposedly McConnell and Teal are talking to each other and McConnell is saying, hey, more money is needed. Uh, we should be sharing the cost and Teal isn't interested. Uh, and all this is funny, of course, because both Vance and Masters have said that they don't want McConnell to be the Senate leader anymore anyway. <laughs> so you have McConnell trying to spend money to drag over the finish line two guys who want to replace him. What's happening with this? So, so, yeah, let, let, let me start with disclosure. I... A consultant, a palantir, and a shareholder. I've never met Peter Thiel, but he's one of the founders of the company. But I didn't have anything to do because I don't even know him. But I'll give you full upfront disclosure about it. Sure thing. And, and McConnell, I think, is actually pulling against these people. And McConnell doesn't do anything that's not in his interest. And if you look at the 2024 map, it's pretty, the 2022 map is not a good map for Republicans. The 2024 map is actually much better. And maybe McConnell thinks if these people go down, the party will wise up and start nominating electable people. Now, I don't oh, know. McConnell's too cynical for that. He wants power right now. Maybe so. But when you have the leader of a party complaining about candidate quality, uh, you know, that's like a football coach saying, I don't think we're very good this year. Right. <laughs> that's not a good sign. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. And, and of course, the, he put, Dr. Oz was, was saying, you know, yeah, I talked to Senator McConnell. He's putting $28 million in Pennsylvania. Well, the Fetterman people ought to just run that as a goddamn ad. Because yeah. remember, more than... Right. More than Pelosi or Schumer or, or, or Biden or, or anybody, McConnell is by far and away the most unpopular person in American politics. And the, the MAGA people don't like him at all. Yeah, they hate him as much as they hate McCarthy. Right. And if you yeah. want to suppress that turnout, talk about how Mitch McConnell's supporting Dr. Oz or J.D. Vance, who, who's like an all-world bad candidate. So what the, I mean— Tick through the the midterms with me. Right. Last week you were you were being a little bit cautious. You right. said, "Look, a lot of these special election districts have a bunch of colleges in them. Right. Colleges are innately liberal. They have you know not only students but administrators right. and professors and all that stuff." Could you give me a best case and a worst case scenario for Democrats ten weeks out? I can. There are two historical forces I think that are clashing right now going into Labor Day. One is off the elections are almost always tied to direction of country and presidential approval. Uh, by that measure, that's 40 House minus 40, all right? The other thing that has been historically true is once a, a race begins to form, it generally continues to form that way. So if you believe in Cleo, the god of history, you say the Republicans are going to pick up a lot of seats. If you believe in once something starts to move, it seldom moves backwards, then you believe that the Democrats have a pretty good chance. And But remember, this thing since Dobbs has been all upside for Democrats. So we, we don't know, will, will history come in 
can negate that or will it overcome history? I, you, you, you could look at it either way. I, I do think that we are in much better, the Democrats in much better political shape than we were at the start of the summer. And it, it is common to say and smart to say, I think the Democrats will win the Senate and, and lose the House. That That's certainly a, a very defensible position to take. However, that generally doesn't happen. If you right. pick up four Senate seats, you can, you, you're not going to lose the House. If we lose, the Democrats lose a Senate seat, they're not going to, they're not going to win the House. But they usually happen in tandem. So there's a lot of historical trends that are conflicting with each other right now. And I think anybody that, that says they know how it's going to end, they're a lot smarter than I am. I don't, I don't think they do know, but I, I am pretty comfortable in saying I, I never thought I'd feel like this in September the 1st, but here we are. I mean, part of the problem is that there are a bunch of races which are going to be super close, right? I mean, Herschel Walker is going to run, I assume, behind Brian Kemp. But, you know, will there be enough Kemp and Warnock voters to keep Warnock in his seat? I don't know. Like, it's very possible, right? Herschel Walker is an all-time terrible candidate. But also, you, you are depending on people to split tickets. The Blake Masters thing, he's reasonably close. I think he'll run behind Cary Lake uh, in Arizona, but but maybe not. J.D. Vance is, you know, J.D. Vance would lose to Tim Ryan in any state except for like Ohio and Wyoming, basically, right? He's, he's just an awful candidate. Ryan's a great candidate. Um, but you look, I mean, there's just a lot. <laughs> these are these can be really close races, <laughs> And you could see anyway from like, you know, Democrats to plus one to Republicans to plus two, I think. So, again, generally what happens is the election breaks in the last four days. All right. It breaks two percent in one party's favor or not. And you you, you, you win all the close ones or you lose all the close ones. I'm more bullish on, on Georgia than you are. Friends of mine who do a lot of state senate district polling, who do you know a lot of DAs races polling that kind of stuff in Georgia, and they say to a person that Stacy nowhere in any poll is running below 2018. Of course, I think she was at 49 in 2018. I think Warnock does win, and I think Stacy will win a come closer than people think. I just saw a, a mass data dump that Kemp's favorability is down five points among whites. And I'm pretty sure that's MAGA at work. Hmm. Because you, now you see Kemp saying he doesn't want to comply with the subpoena from the Fulton County DA. Yes, He understands that he's got to shore up his MAGA vote. And I, I, I got to look deeply because they sent it to me this morning when I was preparing for your show. But it was a big data dump look pretty reliable to me. Well, one of the things that's funny, we have a great piece up on the site today by Amanda Carpenter about how his lieutenant governor candidate, Burt Jones, was one of the fake electors. Yeah, he was. Right. Yeah. I'm helping Charlie Bailey, who's running for lieutenant governor, help him in the primary. And yeah, yeah, he was <laughs> You know, so I, you just wonder how does a guy like Brian Kemp have it both ways where he says He didn't want that guy. He didn't want that guy. Right now, but you know, where his his position is, uh, the 2020 election was free, fair, and legitimate. Also, I had to pass this big law to make right. sure we don't ever have something terrible happen again, like in 2020. 
And this other guy who wanted to overthrow the election. Yeah, right. sure. You know, we're on the same we're on the same page here. Like it's crazy. Brian kept in a, in a, in a vice because he's he he's got to show up his support with the MAGA people, and he's got to cut in. You know, he you know, and he was going to win it like in North Fulton, uh, you know, some of the more affluent areas that were traditionally Republican. But let me tell you, Stacey has a much better chance than people give her credit for. She's close enough where, look, if everything goes like we think it's going to go, Kemp would probably win in a close election. But if he doesn't have a lot of room for margin, I promise you. And the Dobbs decision really, you know, I hear this all the time because I talk to these focus group guys a lot. On the, on the choice issue, there's no difference between racial difference or educational or social differences among women. It's all about the same. Now, for women, if you do a focus group, they can't believe that that happened. I, well, that can't be true, can it? Yeah, it's true. And as they awaken to this, it, 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 it's going to cause some grief. It's going to cause some grief. Well, if Stacey Abrams wins... I think she automatically becomes basically a top tier contender for 2024, which is then the, the last serious politics yeah. thing I want to talk to you about. I'm looking for you to give me some cover here uh, because right. we have a long running internal bulwark dispute over should Joe Biden run for reelection? I think I am the only person on staff who says absolutely Biden, Biden should run. Uh, Crystal, Tim, Sarah, Charlie, everybody else is, you know, no, Biden, Biden shouldn't run. His numbers are terrible. He's so old. My argument is that just as an objective legislative matter, he's had the most successful first two years of a president, probably since W. Uh, he is poised to have one of the most successful first midterm elections of any president since Nixon. Uh, there is no viable alternative right now. Uh, certainly Kamala Harris is not a viable alternative. Uh, and that the advantages of incumbency ultimately outweigh whatever other negatives he brings along with him. Am I crazy on this? Well, first of all, there's the fact that he's had this legislative success, and you don't know, but let's assume that, he, that the Democrats have successful in November, more successful than people anticipated. Does this make him more or less likely to run for re-election? All right? If he feels like he hasn't done that much, and I, I know he's fully aware of his place in history, he he made he could say that people would go to him and say, "Sir, your four years have been more consequential than anybody's eight years since World War II. And he, look, I'm going to be seventy eight in October. Uh, I'm not the same as I used to be. Trust me. And he's got a, <laughs> so so let, 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 then he'll make that decision. But but one of the great falsehoods that is repeated all the time. Well, if he doesn't run. The Democrats don't have anybody. Decidedly not true. Let me reel off some names and say, well, you know, I can see him being president. I mean, I'd be funny to see Kamala Harris, Gavin Newsom, Jay Inslee, Amy Klobuchar, J.B. Pritzker, Gretchen Whitman, Gina Romalto, Pete Buttigieg, Roy Cooper, my favorite, Mitch Landry. I'll give you some insight on nominating a Democratic president. There are three essential things you have to grade each candidate on. First is the ability to raise early money, because you got to come out to shoot hard, and you have to have a real fundraising base. Second, probably most important, is what 
access do you have to Southern blacks? Are they going to pay attention to you? Because we knew that. Remember, we lost New Hampshire by, I think, eight points in 92. And then once we went to Georgia and South Carolina, it was basically game over. Hillary won New Hampshire in 2008. Once Obama goes down south, you know, that pretty much seals it up. Biden didn't even have a freaking campaign until Clyburn in Dawson, South Carolina. And the day after, it was over. Right. The whole race was over. So built and raised money. When you walk into a black church or town hall, are they going to pay attention to you? And, and number three, how good are you on your feet? It still matters. And when people see somebody good on their feet, you go, hey, you know, that person is good. They're saying what I think. They're taking the party in, in, in a direction I like. And there are a lot of people that, you know, stay, Warnock, I think, would be maybe even more than Stacey. But I, I, it's kind of hard to run for president when you take office and you, you run, you're running a, a year late. I, I, that, that's a big leap. And I'm not sure. Stacey's a good enough politician. She may say, look, I'm. Let me sit in this job for a little while. I'm still young enough to deal with other things. And I'm sure I forgot somebody, and I apologize in advance. Jared okay. Polis. That's that's Tim's guy, right? Tim Miller. Yeah, the guy you know, from somewhere Colorado. hanging yeah. on his phone yeah, right yeah. now saying, Say Polis, say yeah, Polis. Okay, Tim, I got Polis. I could definitely see him as president. Uh, you wouldn't say, oh, come on, not that guy. He could be a capable guy, I, I, you know. But the big thing is, how does Jared Polis walk into the black church in the Carolinas? Yeah. You can't do that. You can't win. That's the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is not a bunch of, you know, people in faculty lounges trying to rewrite dictionaries. The Democratic Party is basically blacks and, you know, people that kind of look to the federal government for protection from the harsher edges of capitalism. That That's the way I would define most Democrats. Yeah, and that's why Warnock is, I think, a very, very formidable guy if he wins his race. Yeah, he's a great communicator. This is one of those things where you look at alternate histories. If a, a few votes go the other way in 2018 and Stacey Abrams is a sitting governor in Georgia, then I think if she's not the vice president, right. which she might have been, uh, then I think she is probably the presumed successor to Biden if she's the sitting governor now. And why she's I think big, that she's a big figure in American politics. Yeah, but, she's she's just very very formidable, um, right? And that's why I said if 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 you're right and she's able to to pull out a, a win in Georgia, um, I think she she runs to the top of the list right away. I'm not saying that she's going to. I'm just saying she's in better position than people think. So, do you think that Biden doesn't run again or shouldn't run again or what? I mean, I I'm a I'm pretty pro Biden just as a as right. A, Political matter. I think right. that he's what he's got is powerful. He has a real coalition. He has 100% name ID, which none of these other people will start with. He has the ability to fly around on Air Force One when he right. shows up in places, and he's connected to voters. Like people voted for him a whole bunch of times now. You know, he's been in front of them, and he's not polarizing. Right, the people who hate him don't right. hate I, him that much. You know. So the answer is, if he wants to run. He's going to be the party nominee. He's completely deserved that. Just knowing Democrats as I do, it would be kind of bad manners, you know. But, but he, he, you know, he's got the fact that a lot of things in his decision. I suspect that his wife will be, as it's generally the case, the, the most influential thing. But, I, I you know, uh, like I said, somebody that's almost as old as Biden, uh, I, I, it's got to be weighing on his mind. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, before I let you go, James, I got to know what watch is on your wrist right now. I have my paddock pilot's wife that my wife got me. I think I'd like the second one in North America because she sat <laughs> next, to, next to Mr. Stern at some kind of banquet in New York and said my husband decides to have it. So I, I, I kind of sleep with this one, to tell you the truth. <laughs> Surely it's the only Patek in the state of Louisiana. When did she, was this an anniversary gift or uh, yeah, birthday Yeah, it was present? like a, a Valentine's gift, like in 2015, I think. Oh, I mean, it, awesome. literally, it was like the second, now you can walk into most places and get one, but they really, really, and it was a very controversial watch. I, I'm not, you know, the Patek or Patek or whatever you call it. They're very intense people and it had oh, yeah. big numbers and you know it wasn't it wasn't like it was supposed to be and it was like a pilot's watch and it was too big and blah 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 and everybody wanted one still does <laughs> you know the the tech i don't know if they've changed it but their their slogan the tagline they used to have was you never own a patek philippe right. you only hold on to it for the next generation because these things last for forever uh, right. Were you a watch guy, or did she just come out of nowhere and drop I, this I on you? I kind of started a little bit. I'd read some of the magazines. I'm hardly a, a, a collector, a person of real knowledge. But, you know, it, it, the way I look at watches is, is you're going to look at that watch 150 times a day. Yeah. You're right. It makes no sense because it can't keep as good a time as a, as a you know, $10 Timex you get at the Walmart. Yeah. But, but, you know, if you're going to look at something 150 times a day, why not look at something pretty that you want to look at? I, I mean, something it, it, that means it, something to you, right? It means something to you. And, yeah. and, you know, basically, if you buy a good watch, if it's a, it's a Patek or even a Rolex or any, you know, any of the – it's a savings bond that tells the time. Well, that's, that's right? the truest that, thing you've ever that's said. Just yeah. a, that's what you got. It's something that you can enjoy for a long time. You know, and I can wear this watch with anything. I don't, you know, I'm not, you know, some of these people have to have a certain kind of watch for a certain time. I don't have, hey, I don't have to spend that kind of money. But that's my case for buying a better watch than you think you need is you're going to look at it a lot for the rest of your life. Why not look at something good? One of the things I, uh, when I'm proselytizing on watches to people, I say is uh, you're going to give them to your kids too, right? You're yeah. going to give the, the best watch, honestly, is your dad's watch, right? If your dad oh. had a watch that he loved and wore every day, and then when he passes on, he gives it to you, no matter what that watch is, whether it is a Seiko or a Tag Heuer or a Rolex or a Patek, you're just going to be in love with that thing. Right. And like every, every, every father with kids should wear watches and leave them to their kids is something they can have on their wrist as part of them every day. And that Patek, man, I saw a picture of that and I thought, James is my man. I, so uh, when we watch her before we go, I, a friend of mine is now deceased, a pretty wealthy guy. Uh, he was going to do something really stupid. And I said, you know, you're not going to do any such fucking thing. You understand? And this is a really dumb idea. So he called me back and says, you're right. It's a dumb idea. So the next time I see him, he hands me a box. It's the Audemars Royal Oak. I said, well, who's this? He said, every time you look at that watch, I want you to remember how you saved my ass. <laughs> right. So I could I could never look at the watch without thinking, you know, <laughs> Scott, don't do what you're getting ready to do. And I gave it to my son-in-law. <laughs> that is... Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So somebody, if, if you have a little disposable income and somebody does you a big favor of service, give them a good watch. They'll, they'll never look at it without thinking of you. <laughs>
Watches are one of my go-to presents for exactly that reason. Uh, James Carville, co-host of Politics War Room. James, thanks so much for coming and spending some time with us. All right, Jonathan. Good deal. See you again. Guys, thank you for listening to the Bulwark Podcast. We'll be back again tomorrow. Do this all over again.